Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome. It is Thursday night. It's another busy night. And here's what I don't get. When there is a mass shooting and half of those victims who are shot and treated are under the age of 16, I think all holy hell should break loose in terms of finding the people responsible and then holding those people accountable. But all we're hearing right now, and I still don't get it because we are well past the 24-hour mark, is that there are two people who are detained and they're juveniles and that's all you're allowed to know. What about charges? <laughs> what about names? What about what happened? So here's what is odd. This is supposed to be the happiest day for most Kansas City fans celebrating a Super Bowl victory. Instead, hmm, 23 shot, one dead. Again, half of those shot under 16. And two juveniles in custody, still no charges, still no names, still no story other than we think. There's a group of people who just didn't get along. Just some kind of dispute. And someone decided to open fire like a pinwheel, spinning around in a circle, just unleashing a hail of bullets on a million people. There is a story here, folks, that we're not getting. And we better get it soon. Because there are still kids who are nursing wounds, who, by the way, will never be the same for the rest of their lives. We're going to talk about that tonight. Um, and then the hits keep coming. For Vince McMahon, uh, we have an exclusive interview tonight from one of the hardest hitters, you know, of all time, one of the toughest, most macho wrestlers of all time. And this person has a different side because this person knows both the perspective of the wrestler from the male side and the female side because this man became that woman. It was Tyler Rex. She is now Gabby Tufts, and man, she is not pulling punches. She says what's on her mind. She has incredible perspective into what's going on in the WWE. And here's another question. If she decides to get back into the wrestling ring, would she wrestle with a female wrestler? You will not believe the answer. I was stunned. You're going to hear it. I think you're going to appreciate it as well, no matter where you follow the polit political spectrum. That's coming in just a few moments. Um, and then the parents of the OnlyFans model who's sitting in a jail cell in Miami right now, having plunged a knife into the chest of her boyfriend, killing him. The parents of that woman say, well, it was either him or our daughter. This is sort of the, 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 the array of mugshots in the family of Courtney Clenny. Courtney's right there. Uh, next to me, and then her parents have mugshots too because they've now been arrested in connection with what happened afterwards. 
What did they do with evidence afterwards? They were hauled in and charged, and now they've given an interview. And it is fascinating to say the very least. Take a look at what they uh, said to TMZ. Take a look. I do think it may have been mutually physical, but you have to remember that he weighed, what, 220 pounds? 230 pounds, and she weighed 150. So who we have not heard from yet, that victim, Christian Ambazelli, his family, his brother is joining me live tonight to react to those comments from Courtney Clenny's parents as she awaits trial for murder. And then the voice from the grave. I can never get past this. John Wayne Gacy burying 33 men and boys, most of them in his own home, in his cellar. And the things he said about it that we never knew until now. An incredible podcast has unearthed all of these incredible interviews because um, the person who recorded them was his own lawyer prior to trial. Take a listen to, to this moment as John Wayne Gacy talks about remorse. Do you ever remember feeling remorse for any of this? What was your most overwhelming feeling? Even once you bury somebody, it was already gone. There was, there was no feeling. There was no feeling. A couple of other things John Wayne Gacy said that I never knew. I mean, I had an idea, I thought, I had a suspicion, but now the Defense Diaries, the new podcast releasing all of these pretrial tapes for the first time, you're going to hear more of it, you're going to hear the podcaster, it was his own father. It was John Wayne Gacy's lawyer recording those tapes. So terrific insight into that coming ahead in just a few uh, moments from now. But first this, 24 hours and still no names. Two juveniles detained and still no names. A bag of guns retrieved and still no names and still no charges. Almost two dozen people nursing gunshot wounds. One of them dying before she could make it to the hospital. What is happening in Kansas City, Missouri tonight? When will someone be made to account for the hail of gunfire shot throughout the Kansas City Chiefs crowd at the victory rally yesterday? We still don't really know why one or maybe more people opened fire, seemingly randomly, into that crowd of almost a million people there. Police say the shooting apparently arose from a, quote, personal dispute between several people. What does that mean? And why haven't those two juveniles being held, been formally charged. Details of the, quote, dispute and exactly how many people were involved are not clear, but we do know that other people interviewed and saved, intervened, rather. They intervened and they saved lives. And one of those heroes will be with me tonight. In just a moment, um, you're going to hear about the struggle to hold down one of those alleged gunmen until the cops get there, what it was like. And also tonight... We know that half of the people, half of the 23 people who were hit by those bullets were under the age of 16 and one of them as young as eight. Just imagine that eight-year-old's life. Just imagine that eight-year-old in a crowd for the rest of their life, right? Three people are in critical condition. God, we pray they will survive. Thank God all the children are expected to recover. I can't believe I'm saying the words. I hope the children all recover. The woman who was killed was Lisa Lopez Galvin, and she was a mom of two. She was a popular DJ for KKFI radio. We now know that her adult son 
was also shot, but he is now already out of the hospital, and thank God for that. The authorities say several firearms were recovered from the scene, and one witness reports seeing a shooter just spinning in a circle, firing, spraying the bullets into the crowd in a circle. That shooter, lucky to be alive. I want you to look at a photo, um, a parade goer named Bridget Barton. Talk about lucky to be alive. Bridget literally dodged a bullet thanks to her trusty backpack. She didn't even know that her backpack had been hit till she got home and actually found the slug. I want to bring in News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton. He is live in Kansas City tonight. So I don't understand why there's such a mystery. You know, typically after a mass shooting, the shooter's dead. Or they catch them and they name them and they put a picture out right away and we get some kind of motive. But everything seems to be so secretive. Are we learning anything more about the two juveniles in custody? No, and it is so frustrating, Ashley. We have been so frustrated all day. At first they said they weren't even going to have any press conferences today. Finally, they have a press conference release, very, very little information. You said it basically just saying that this was some kind of dispute, but not really saying anything else. We're outside the Children's Hospital tonight. Uh, it's enraging to think that half of the victims were just kids. Yes, they're all going to be okay, which is incredible news, but think about emotionally uh, what they're now yeah. going to be going through. Many of them shot in the legs. Think about the, the trauma that, you know, the, the rehabilitation. They're going to survive. Uh, but there's still a lot, a lot that they've got to go through. And in terms of the two juveniles, we're not getting names, we're not getting charges, but we did just learn a little while ago, Ashley, uh, that they're going to be in court tomorrow, family court, and that prosecutors intend to start the process of charging them as adults. But the way it works in Missouri, we're told, uh, that process could take weeks. I, I just find it so weird to hear nobody's been charged but they'll be in court tomorrow. That just, to me, is very backwards, but maybe I don't know the way it works there. So, and by the way, Brian, it just occurred to me as you were saying, you're in front of the children's hospital, and thank God that they're going to survive. I'm really sick and tired of saying, aren't we lucky that we survive mass shootings? Aren't we lucky when we don't die? Mm. Gosh, aren't we lucky that all we have are bullet holes and trauma for the rest of our lives? Aren't we lucky? I'm sorry, I just had to get that off my chest. It just makes me mm, just seethe. Do we know at this point, Brian, if there's anyone else involved other than the two juveniles that they've got detained? Yesterday, I feel like there were three. Now today, it's two. Do they think there are more out there who are um, part of this dispute? Another mystery, and you're right. Yesterday, they detained three people. It was two juveniles and one adult. Today, we find out they released the adult and only held on to the two juveniles. Why? Did they have the wrong person? Do they not have enough evidence? Uh, we don't know. But I can tell you, actually, because we've done stories here, Kansas City is a mess when it comes to crime and gang violence. Uh, for four consecutive years, they've had more violent crime than ever before. They had the highest number of murders ever last year, 181 murders. There are 400 plus uh, officer vacancies. So this is a problem that they struggle with here. I know the Super Bowl headline is what's getting attention, but for the people who live here, they're not even surprised by this and the gang violence, and they're really frustrated they're not getting more information today. 
So the video that's playing between us is playing silently right now, and it's a perfect description of what happened in that actual moment. I don't know. Can I just ask the control room if we have sound on that video? Because I want to stop down for... It's amazing. Roll it one more time so you can see the moment the gunshots are fired, and then... so. And then you can watch just everyone scatter so quickly. Uh, yeah, we're going to re-cue it, Brian, and then I just want to play it from the top so that everyone can hear the silence and then hear the gunshot. So here we go. It's, it's so unfathomable to think of those people who were at that epicenter when that happened and how they ran into each other. It's crowded. So the kinds of injuries that happen as well. Look at that. Look at that. It's just, it's unfathomable. Uh, a little bit more about the, the victims and, and how they're all doing. Were you able to, to talk to anybody today just to talk about conditions and, and where we stand with people, like the kids behind you getting out of the hospital? Yeah, so there's only a handful of kids who are still in the hospital, which really is a miracle. I mean, you look at that video, there were a million people out there. The fact that 23 people got shot, we're hearing that perhaps some of the bullets actually ricocheted off the ground and struck people in the leg. So uh, there's so many families thankful that this wasn't, wasn't more serious. Uh, so most of the kids are out of the hospital. You did mention it's so tragic. The one woman who was killed, her name's Lisa Lopez-Galvin. She goes by Lisa G. Very popular on the radio here. What's so sad is that she was there with her son. Uh, he was shot in the leg. He's now been released from the hospital. The family at first thought maybe she had been rushed in for surgery and was going to survive later found out that she died there at the scene and what's even sadder Ashley is they have extended family members uh, two young children two distant cousins who were also out there uh, at the festival at the rally and they were also shot those two kids also ended up in the hospital so oh. this is a family that is suffering oh. uh, tonight yeah I couldn't believe we just found that out tonight Ashley it's terrible um, there was this vigil tonight for her uh, and for the other surviving victims, uh, where, where friends of hers spoke. Uh, take a listen to one of those friends. She knew you. You were her family. There's not a person on the street she would meet. She would not talk to. She loved everybody. She was a big part of the community. Not only the Hispanic community, the West Side community, but Kansas City community. She was here to do good. She was a good person. <laughs> This was senseless, senseless. It's just so sad, Ashley. Uh, you see the, the images from the vigil tonight. There were quite a number of people out there. Uh, and also people now praying for her son. Again, he's out of the hospital, but he was also injured and, and shot in the leg. So many of uh, Lisa Lopez Galvin's family members affected by that and then a whole community as well. And, and remember... Um, the, the kids all had the day off school, so that's why there were so many kids at this um, parade and rally. Mm. Uh, Brian Enton, thank you for doing this reporting. Keep us apprised if you hear anything about charges, because it's possible those charges will be announced in the next hour. So do just break into programming and let us know. Thank you for this. Yeah. Brian Enton uh, reporting for us tonight. So undoubtedly, that bloodshed would have been a lot worse had it not been for my next guest and one or two other people as well. Paul 
Contreras was in that crowd. He was celebrating with the chiefs and with his three daughters when he heard the gunshots and he did what 99% of us would not do. He ran towards the danger and he tackled an alleged gunman to the ground and then held him there until the police arrived, no matter how much struggling. And earlier today, I spoke with Paul and his daughter, Alyssa Marsh Contreras, who began recording at the scene when that happened. Here's our conversation. Paul and Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me. This is a hard question to ask, but it's the most obvious. How are you both doing, uh, given the amount of time you've now been able to process what happened? Um, I think just with everything that's gone on, you know, in the last 24 hours, I think we processed it, but I don't think we've fully been able to exactly take in what, you know, we kind of went through yesterday. Paul, it's, it's miraculous if you think back to what you did, tackling someone with a gun who may have just unleashed hell amongst a crowd of a million people. Um, tell me about that moment. We're, we're seeing the video. Tell me as much detail as you can remember. You know, I was just walking with my daughters, leaving the ceremony, and as we approached the bridge, uh, it kind of came to a stand a standstill. And we're trying to figure out what's going on, and and then there's this gentleman that's on the bridge just screaming to stop this man, tackle this man. And, and I'm looking and I see him running and I just take a good angle and, and I catch him from the back. And as I'm taking him down, I see a gun fall out of his, it was either out of his hand or out of his jacket. So I see the gun one, I see the gun fall to the ground and I'm taking him down and I'm like, okay, I got to take him down. I got to keep him down because he's wearing a pretty big jacket. I'm like, he's got one gun. He may have another gun somewhere in a pocket or something. So I got to keep him down and try to keep him from like reaching into a pocket or something, you know, then another good Samaritan helped me because I, I had him high and the other guy kind of took him around the waist and we're just we're fighting as best as we can to keep him down because he's fighting as best as he can to get us off of him. But, you know, we didn't let him do that. We kept him down until law enforcement got there. Based on, you know, your ability to, so your close proximity to him, like you said, you're literally on top of his upper body. What would you describe him to be? How, how big, how tall, how much did he weigh? Was he slight, was he heavy? Um, because they're going to have to identify the people in custody and try to connect whether they were actually uh, the people who did the shooting. Yeah, uh, I wanna say he was shorter than me, like maybe around like 5'5", five, five, give or take. He wasn't very tall. Uh, he was he was thin. He was skinny, and I want to say he was fairly young. You know, he was he was trying his best to get away. You know, he was he was very fidgety, and, and he was doing everything he could to get away. And I was doing everything I could to not let him get away. And Alyssa, I know last night you you mentioned um, when we spoke with you live on the program, you hadn't even had a chance to speak with the police yet. Have you had a chance yet, either of you, to to talk to the police and tell them uh, your witness account? 
Yeah, uh, my dad actually did talk to a couple detectives earlier today, and, you know, we were able to give our side of the story, you know, what we experienced into great detail. Well, listen, uh, there's a sign behind you, and it says blessed. And um, I don't know if it's just kismet that that's the location in your house, but you are two very blessed people, and we are very blessed that you um, that you did what you did, Paul. Thank you for being so brave, running towards the danger, and probably protecting so many people who were there. Uh, and thank you for being with me uh, for this interview as well, both of you, Paul and Alyssa. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We'll continue to update you on the story as we learn more. And then still to come, another tough WWE veteran is speaking out about Vince McMahon. But this wrestler has a softer side, too. You might remember Tyler Rex and his indomitable strength in the ring. But his toughest moments may have come after he left wrestling and transitioned to become Gabby Tuft. No one, I mean no one, has a perspective on what went down and who did what, male or female, than Gabby Tuft. And she joins me next for an exclusive interview after this. Superstars, the lesser knowns, the supporting players called jobbers. God knows we've heard from the lawyers, but now comes a former WWE valet with her thoughts on Vince McMahon. Francine, held that role in 2005 and 2006. And it's pretty far down the WWE food chain, and pretty is what you call a requirement. Francine now says one of the reasons she didn't go further at the WWE is because she would not degrade herself for Vince McMahon. In a recent episode of her Eyes Up Here podcast, she said this, I mean, when I worked there, there were stories floating around. And again, when I worked there, I was told by somebody higher up that if you want to be seen, go get a bottle of oil. Rubbing oil all over my breasts and knocking on Vince's door and going in there and leaning on his desk and trying to get noticed. That's what I was told to do. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And then there's also this tonight, a bona fide WWE superstar, also ready to speak out. If you are a fan, you definitely remember Tyler Rex and his trademark finishing move called the Burning Hammer. Rex wowed the crowds and racked up more wins for more than five years in the WWE before bowing out in 2012. Then in 2019, he underwent open-heart surgery and two years later dropped a bombshell. Tyler Rex, a former WWE powerhouse, came out as a transgender woman named Gabby Tuft. Gabby Tuft is a popular fitness coach, a social media superstar, and a motivational speaker, and a hell of a wrestler. Earlier today, she sat down for an exclusive interview with me, and we discussed the allegations against Vince, the toxic nature of the entertainment, and whether she thinks it's fair for a transgender woman to wrestle in the women's division. First, here's what she said about the allegations against Vince McMahon and the WWE. Gabby, thanks so much for uh, joining me on this topic. It's such an uncomfortable topic, to say the least. I wanted to get your reaction when you learned of the lawsuit against Vince McMahon and the WWE and John Laurinaitis, and then you saw the details in it. 
Yeah, you know, it absolutely grabbed my attention. I think it grabbed a lot of people's attention nationwide. But it's important to understand that my relationship with Vince and Johnny was very limited. So I would see them at the TV tapings. I'd get to shake Vince's hand every now and then backstage. A couple of very short meetings with him about my character and where I was going. And that was really the extent of it. Did you ever witness any um, behaviors anywhere throughout um, your interactions in the WWE that were suspect and unusual and now in retrospect might make sense or even hear about certain things like locker room talk? There's always locker room talk, but it's important to remember when I was in the WWE, I was a guy. And so the locker room talk is guys talking about guy stuff. I did not have any real interactions with the females at that time. It was just acquaintances. And, you know, I didn't go out afterwards. I didn't go party. I didn't go to the bars. I was that person that was trying to focus mostly on athletics and trying to be in the best shape possible, focus on my nutrition and get rest afterwards. So everything ringside was very professional. We all handle ourselves in a professional manner ringside. And that's really what I saw. So you didn't get the feeling that, boy, there's some, there's some bad culture uh, where I work. I'm going to keep my nose down and do my thing and just try to stay out of it. Well, in entertainment, we always understand that our performance is what keeps us in business. And so we're always making sure that what we are doing is the best possible. Uh, as far as bad culture, I think a lot of people were job scared when I was there because it's entertainment. And we're always making sure that we are on. And if we're not on, we don't do something that we know entertains the crowd. Well, we know that it's not going to reflect highly on us. But as far as something toxic going on in the back, like I think we're referring to with the lawsuit, again, everything when I was there, I was ringside most of the time training in the ring. And so that area where I spent most of the time, there's really not a lot that goes on there except rehearsals and training. So Gabby and I also discussed the possibility of her returning to the wrestling ring and wrestling against women. There's been a lot of debate over whether it's fair for transgender women to compete in women's divisions throughout sports, which is why it was all the more fascinating when she said this. Does that include you returning to the WWE and wrestling um, professionally again, and this time as a female wrestler? Now, wouldn't that be something? I will tell you, my intent is to absolutely make a return to the ring. And if it is uh, just happens to be with WWE, that would be the perfect full circle story. And if I do go back, I think the entire world is going to be watching and wondering if I step in the ring with the guy with a girl, what happens? And uh, I know there are some people that aren't happy about it, but it's so important to remember that wrestling, it's entertainment. And what we do is meant to be entertainment. We protect each other in the ring. Uh, Sometimes we're in there with our best friends. And uh, I am very much looking forward to protecting who I'm with, but bringing the absolute volume to the max entertainment. So with that in mind, it, it, it begs the question, given all of the controversy about trans women in sports mm-hmm. competing against women, um, you must have contemplated that if you're thinking about getting into the ring with a female wrestler as a transitioned female. How do you weigh in on that, even if it's entertainment? Because it's a message as well, right, as well as a competition. <laughs> 
Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, and, you know, I want to make it very clear. I support every transgender uh, competitor that wants to compete or athlete that wants to compete in the gender category that they so desire to. I do believe that we need some better standards across the board to make it fair uh, for both sides. However, when it comes to entertainment and wrestling is literally sports entertainment, we want to be clear that, like I said earlier, we are protecting the other person. Back in training in the development territory, FCW, back in 2008 and nine when I was there, we worked with the girls. They worked with us to learn certain things and to make sure they were protected. And now, even when I'm in the ring training with girls and practicing, they're the ones that have asked to train with me, and they're happy to train with me, and they know that I'm going to protect them in the ring. And as far as sending a message, I think it's a wonderful message that the females are asking to work with me. They know that I'll keep them safe, and they know that what we're going to do in the ring will be explosive, and it'll be incredibly entertaining. So the way I'm, if I'm reading you right, um, it's it's okay. It's not a, it's not an issue in terms of competing against another female wrestler being a trans uh, female wrestler because it's entertainment. If it weren't, if it were straight up competition, would the would the metric be different for you? So for me, I personally, if it was if it was a legitimate straight competitive sport, personally. I would not step into that ring, but given that it is entertainment, it's a different story. I believe we need better standards to make it fair across the board when it comes to competitive sports. But me, I recognize I have more muscle mass on my body than a natural born female. My bone structure is much different. I can feel it in the ring. I know it. It's much different when I work with a natural born female versus uh, a male. And I, I can feel the muscle mass difference. I can feel the body frame. I know that. I'm well aware of that. But thank God this is entertainment. And that's what we bring. One last question, and that is, if you were to return to the WWE, given all of the controversy right now and so much that's coming out about um, what some people have really described as a toxic culture for women, um, how would you fit in there? How would your return be? What would it feel like? What would you be worried about? If anything, you know, I think my biggest concern would be uh, a locker room situation uh, because I'm not fully transitioned. And to be honest, I would never want to impose uh, or invade a, a safe space for females. So I think my biggest concern would be where I get changed. And if I had to figure out a way to get my own space, uh, not to impose anybody, if I had to pay for it myself or something, I would do that just to ensure that the girls, the women, the females, they felt safe and that I was not intruding in their, their space whatsoever. Super interesting conversation. My thanks to Gabby Tuff for taking the time uh, to speak with me about all of this. I'm going to be watching to see what she ends up doing. And still to come, the parents of the OnlyFans model who stabbed her boyfriend to death almost two years ago, they've come out publicly to say he tried to kill her first. She said that she was passing out. He was strangling her. And she said that it was going through her mind. Oh my gosh, my mom's going to have to play my funeral. But now it's Christian Ambuselli who's dead and his girlfriend, Courtney Clenny, who's charged with murder. And Clenny's parents have legal problems of their own. After a break, Christian's brother joins me with reaction to this latest bombshell in his first national interview. That's next.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tonight, the parents of the OnlyFans model charged with murdering her boyfriend say that easily it could have been the other way around and that it almost was. Courtney Clenny, or Courtney Taylor, as she was known to her 2 million fans online, plunged a knife into Christian Ambaselli's chest in April of 2022. She's been jailed in Miami ever since, charged with second-degree murder, but she's claiming it was self-defense. And now in an interview with TMZ Investigates, her parents, Kim and Deborah Clenny, are claiming that just two weeks before that fatal fight, there was an almost fatal fight with Courtney, almost the victim. Did she ever tell you she feared he would kill her? Yes, he almost did. A couple weeks before that, she said that she was passing out. He was strangling her, and she said that it was going through her mind. Oh, my gosh, my mom's going to have to play my funeral. I do think it may have been mutually physical, but you have to remember that he weighed, what, 220 pounds? 230 pounds, and she weighed 150. What is not obvious, that elevator went directly to her landing to to go into her apartment. And so you can see how desperate she is for him not to follow her. She's trying to push him off the elevator because she doesn't want him to come in. And, And you can see he's like a rock her trying to push him out and she can't push him out and I think the people who have shown that video do tend to cut out the part where he has her in a headlock he was swatting her off like a fly he wasn't being harmed prosecutors want to introduce evidence of Courtney calling Christian a racial epithet my bad I forgot to tell you that that doesn't make you to act and call me a She told me why she called him that, because she wanted him to leave, and she said no self-respecting black man would stick around after being called that name, so she thought that was a way to get him to leave. Obviously didn't work. She liked him partly because he was black. I believe if Courtney were black or if Christian were white, we would not be here. After that interview was recorded, the Clennies themselves were arrested for allegedly tampering with the victim's laptop. They were arraigned just on Monday this week. Christian Ambaselli's family was not involved in that TMZ documentary show, and they hadn't even heard the Clenny's comments until tonight. I am now joined by Jeffrey Ambaselli, Christian's big brother, for his first national interview. We're also joined by Michael Haggard, the Ambaselli family attorney. Welcome to you both, Jeffrey and Michael. Jeffrey, let me begin with you if I can. What is your reaction to what you've now heard um, 
the ambassador or the the uh, the alleged perpetrator, Courtney Clenny's parents, claiming. Very painful, out of emotion, and anger is one of them. But here's the reality: we have a big black man who was killed, brutally killed, by a white woman. Domestic violence and race are at hand here, and people tend to forget that anyone can be a victim of domestic violence. A man can be a victim of domestic violence. These videos clearly show that Courtney is the aggressor and is out of control. And my brother is clearly trying to be the peacemaker. And the painful part about all this is that he's no longer alive to speak for himself. So, Jeffrey, can I ask you, did you have any sense um, while they were together before your brother passed that there was any kind of acrimony between them, whether it be the domestic violence that we witnessed on video or, as you mentioned, a racial component? Honestly, it's to even think and to speak about is just too painful. Sorry. How is your family coping? I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in your shoes. Um, my dad is hurting. My mom is hurting. I'm hurting. Extended family members, friends, we're all hurting. It's been almost two years since my brother was brutally killed. And um, we're just taking it one hour at a time because just taking it one day at a time is just too much. We, we miss him a lot. And I can imagine being involved in the, in the process is, you know, equally um, stressful, difficult, and hard to, you know, hard to sort of get through. Um, Michael, if, if I can ask you, that, um, the Ambaselli family didn't want to be involved in the TMZ documentary, but as the attorney for the family, what's their overall message, um, especially in light of the claims that Clenny's uh, parents have made? have decided to let the process work itself out, the the, uh, criminal justice system. And you have to look at who, you know, Courtney Clenny's parents are. They stole a laptop. They, along with Courtney Clenny, uh, and unfortunately their lawyers were conspiring to try to see what was in that laptop, and the parents were arrested for it. And now they've been paraded out um, to attack Christian. When, like Jeffrey said, Christian can't respond to any of these allegations when his character is defamed when they attack him uh, because Courtney Clunny plunged a knife into his chest and killed him that night. And there's no question when you look at all the videos who the aggressor was in the weeks leading up to this uh, and obviously in the night in question, when people say, well, you know, there's other instances, there's no videos of it. And when Clunny's parents are those witnesses, uh, they don't have much credibility at all. And, of course, we, we just have to state they are um, innocent until proven guilty of the charges that have been levied against them regarding uh, the laptop and um, allegedly accessing um, Christian's laptop uh, prior to turning it over to the authorities. Uh, Jeffrey, you know, if I could just say I'm so sorry 
for your loss, for your family's loss. I'm so sorry that you're going through this process. Thank you for speaking out tonight. Thank you for giving your side of the story. Uh, Michael, also, I appreciate you being on the program, and we'd like to keep in touch with you because, as I see, Courtney has a hearing um, tomorrow, so we would like to continue following the story and, um, and seeking justice in this matter. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. My uh, great thanks to Jeffrey Umbaselli and Michael Hager for being on the program tonight. Coming up next, the voice of a sadistic killer from far beyond the grave. John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, dead now for 30 years and rightfully executed in prison. But his voice lives on as creepy and fascinating as it was when these words were first spoken. Did you question yourself as to why it was done? Nope. Do you ever remember feeling remorse for any of this? Even once you bury somebody, it was already gone. There was, there was no feeling. No feeling. No feeling from a man who killed and buried more than 30 young men and boys in his home. Up next, more from the monster in his own words. Thirty-three young men and boys back in the 70s. He shocked the world even further when investigators found most of his victims were buried underneath and around his Chicago area home. Gacy predated the 24-hour news cycle, not to mention social media, so there's really not much film or video of the so-called clown killer. But a popular podcast is now presenting hours and hours of John Wayne Gacy's voice. Recordings that have never before been heard in public. I want to get right to Bob Mata. He is a Chicago attorney. His father was John Wayne Gacy's trial lawyer back uh, in the day. Bob, the defense diaries is absolutely riveting. Take me to the first clip and um, and what we're going to hear um, in this uh, in this iteration. Hey, Ashley, how you doing? So what you're hearing here yeah. is my father probing Gacy about his. One of his victims, uh, a young man named Gregory Godsick, 17-year-old kid. My father's trying to probe Gacy in his mind to try to find out if there's any semblance of humanity or sanity. It's a pretty fascinating clip. All right, let's roll it. How, are, how did you feel the next morning when you woke up and you found uh, Godsick dead? What was your initial emotional response? Just to throw him down the cross face. Get rid of him. Did you question yourself as to why it was done? Nope. Do you ever remember feeling remorse for any of this? Even once you bury somebody, it was already gone. There was, there was no feeling. Bob and Bank. For the most part, you know, even, even like today, I don't, I don't believe I killed anybody. But yet I know I did. Or I took part in it. When you found the body the next morning, uh, did you ever think, well, Jesus, there's already three down there, or, or there's already seven down there? Did you ever, do you have, oh, a, number? have a count in your mind? No. You're How right. do you feel about something that you don't do? How can I have any feeling? About it. Once they were the ground, they weren't my problem. So there you go. Wow. He's about as sick as you can get. 
Oh, Bob, okay, you know I can't wait until you come back on the show with these tapes. It's just, uh, it's riveting. Defense Diaries, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple's podcast, Spotify, Amazon. Uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate your good work, and I'm glad you're doing the Defense Diaries. Thank you. All right, Bob Motta will be back again, and we will be back again tomorrow night for another edition of Banfield. In the meantime, make sure you stay tuned, because you know who's coming up next. One Christopher Cuomo. See you tomorrow. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. Here's something we need to get after. Did you know that nearly half the people shot at that Kansas City parade were kids? I mean, come on. We have a 10-year-old boy who was shot, one of the most interesting wound stories I've ever heard. And this kid is already out of the hospital and he wants to be heard. And you know what? I am proud to host him and his aunt who's going to be on the show with us. We're going to talk to him hear his story of what he saw and what he makes of all of this and how he was understanding what was happening in the moment because of all the school shooter training he's had. This is the world we're giving our kids, right? And then I want to look at why the authorities are being so quiet about who did this and why. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.